All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have Joe Rust and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. Jeff is off for this weekend's Money Wise program. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I would typically turn it over to Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. But since he's off for this weekend show, I will give you those numbers. So in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1.1%. The S&P 500 was down three-tenths of 1%. But the leading index for the week was the NASDAQ, and it was positive up for the week 0.4%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up a half of 1%. The S&P 500 is up 7.4%. And the NASDAQ still leading the pack for the year up 17 0.4%. So those growth funds, those growth stocks are uh, still taking the lead. You know, we've seen this rotation as we got into the new year, and we've talked about on this program um, this entire year where we've seen this rotation, a lot of profit-taking and the value stocks, some of the uh, consumer defensive names, a lot of the energy names, a lot of profit-taking has taken place, and that shift is, you know, everything AI. If you have any involvement as a corporation, as a technology company involved in AI, your stock has just had a meteoric rise so far this year. Well, and you look at the S&P 500 for the year, and you look at it, hey, the S&P having a pretty good year. It's up 7% so far. Well, 48% of the stocks in the S&P 500 are down for the year. So we talked about it last week about it's a narrow range of stocks. The usual suspects, you got Meta, you have Apple. Google, NVIDIA, obviously, I think NVIDIA is still the best performing stock. Um, but the tech well, and Tesla, and, 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 Tesla. And, 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 and even Tesla, and we talked about it on last weekend's show, Joe. I mean, there are seven stocks driving 86% of the return so far in the S&P 500 this year. And so, like you were saying, the breadth, the, the participation within the S&P 500 is so incredibly narrow in order to have – significant returns in your equity portfolio this year so far, you would have to be so highly concentrated. Well, 
more concentrated than we would recommend any investor ever be in just a handful of stocks in the equity side of their portfolio to be having significant outperformance. Well, and if you look at AI, last this past Friday, I can't tell you how many times I'm watching CNBC and I glance over and there's somebody talking about AI and obviously some of the possible impending dangers at AI could cause. So we talked a little bit about an AI bubble. All right. Well, that's on the valuation of the stocks, right? All right. AI could have a bubble. You could have Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, all these stocks that are attributed to AI and what's going to happen. But now I, I, I hope we don't go that route, but the, the fear factor, what sells in the media, what sells in the financial press, what sells in the press in general, it's AI technology and, and fear. So uh, I know, I'm, I'm, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, unfortunately, fear and, and, and stirring up emotions is really what sells. And, you know, talking about just the breadth of the market, all you have to simply do is go look at the exchange-traded fund symbol, RSP. That is the equally weighted S&P 500. Now, as we record this show after the bell on Friday, I have Thursday's closing value for the equally weighted S&P 500 index, and it's up a positive 0.72% year-to-date. So this index takes all 503, because in the S&P 500, there's actually 503 stocks in it, equally weights the allocation to all of them. And so that just goes to show how narrow the field is of stocks that are really doing well because an equally weighted S&P 500 is up less than 1% year to date. Now, that could mean a couple of things. I mean, one thing, there's a lot of great buying opportunities within the S&P 500 of stocks and companies that have not participated so far in this rally. Uh, Or this could just mean that it's still a trader's market and there's really a buyer strike across the board because it seems, Joe, every time we turn around, there's another piece of potential market-moving news. And I think this is affecting a lot of long-term asset managers. Now, for the traders, this is what they live for. They're, They're living for constant news cycles, constant pieces of information that they can push and pull different trades around and do all these computer algorithms. I mean, this is the kind of market they love for the short-term renters of stocks, but for long-term managers, long-term investors like ourselves, with all these, every time we turn around the corner, every time we look around the corner, there's another piece of market, you know, driving news, either positive or negative. And so you have to, again, still be extremely cautious as, as we have been in our portfolios all year and we have discussed on this show. Well, if you go into the second half of this year, it, it, you know, right now we're looking at debt ceiling talk. Okay, that that seems to be here we go the market. Again. Here yeah. we go again. We, we've seen this. And then, of course, secondarily, well, maybe more importantly, are we going to have a recession? I think Goldman Sachs last week came out and they said there's a 60% chance that we're not going to see a recession. And well, Goldman Sachs we, is traditionally kind of, bull, is kind of bearish, but, you know, well, handicapping well, is not easy. Well, Jan Hatzius, who's, who's uh, I think, the lead economist over there at Goldman Sachs, I mean, he actually made the comment that it is possible that the, th- that the, that the Federal Reserve could possibly thread the needle. But I think he made another point, and I actually had this conversation with a couple clients this past week. I think what we could see is a rolling recession that's moving between different industrial sectors. 
And so when one sector, possibly maybe the, the product sector, is having a little bit more of a recession where the service sector, as we know from all the pent-up demand, has been knocking the cover off the ball and seeing a lot of inflation continue to be driven in the service sector side of the market, or like the housing market that had a massive recession, even though a lot of people are kind of wringing their hands about the housing market and tighter lending standards, we've seen the housing stocks just go crazy this year on the upside. And you would think that that would be kind of counterintuitive if we're facing a look, staring down the barrel of a potential recession coming later this year or going into 2024. But, but the industry itself is telling us a whole different story. But let's, let's pause right there, take our first commercial break. When we come back from break, we'll pick up on this topic and continue recapping Wall Street from this past week. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, we've got Jeff on vacation for this weekend show. So it's just Joe and myself. It's, it's again, Joe, it's kind of like we're having our portfolio strategy sessions in either your office or my office in San Antonio. <laughs> having our conversations uh we're gonna have to keep it clean because i know we get a little you know we we get a little feisty when we get into these conversations but as i was saying before we went to commercial break you know going back to your comment about jan hatsius who's the who's the head economist at goldman sachs saying that the federal reserve might possibly be able to thread the needle now we know that the federal reserve doesn't have a very high batting average when it comes to landing the plane gently from an economic standpoint, especially after 10 straight interest rate increases starting March of 2022. But as I was saying before we went to break, I could potentially see, and I think we're seeing this in some specific industries where they're kind of having their own specific recessionary cycle to where we could just see a rolling recession where it brings down economic growth but it keeps up economic growth just above the zero point, just above the zero point as we go throughout this year and going and leading into 2024, we could just see this rotation because we saw during COVID, Joe, we saw the rotation when everyone was on lockdown. What, what, what was everyone doing? They're at home shopping online. That's They're why shopping you saw online or if you're a student, a particular student, maybe trading Learning how to trade. <laughs> that, hey, remember, the, remember the Reddit and the GameStop and the Bed yeah. Bath and Beyond crowd and, and AMC. Well, and that's true. And so everyone was home. That's when you saw stocks like Etsy and Amazon and Shopify and all these stay-at-home stocks. Peloton just have these meteoric rises in value during the COVID lockdown. And then as we get out of the lockdown, we start to see – the product buying and the, the really the, the value of these stocks of these different companies really start to correct 
and go well into bear market territory because everyone's now shifting their dollars and their purchasing over to services, which is still going strong. And that is, again, what I, I feel is keeping uh, inflation so much more sticky because we've rotated out of products. Now we're into services. And so we've got to get back to that equal balance, that equilibrium of purchasing products and purchasing services, but at a much lower level, once we get that pinup demand finally worked its way through the economy, which all takes time. I want to get back to something and I'm sure your dad would smack me broadside the head, get it about the, the fed and Powell, but imagine this for a second. So, Powell's had to adjust through all these different cycles you have have to go through, supply chain issues. Imagine this, and all the Powell bashing that's going on, you know. Imagine if he does shred the needle. He will go from, you know, the scapegoat to hero. hero. Zero to hero. I mean, he goes through COVID. He goes through this whole rate cycle. All of a sudden, we have a soft landing. And the two mandates, obviously, with the Fed is trying to maintain inflation is price stability and employment. And the employment number, it's historically low, 3.4%. We had some jobs numbers this week. I mean, I don't know if you have them in front of you, but. Uh, well, 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 as far as the, the unemployment claims, the unemployment claims have been coming back up. It was over 250,000. I believe it was 268,000, the unemployment claims. But when we saw the employment report two weeks ago, it was above expectations. Unemployment was down to 3.4%, which is historic low. Now, I know, you know, Joe Biden wants to take a victory lap, like it's something that him and his administration is actually doing. And I'm like, nope, just like your predecessor, Obama, (laughs) it was all about timing because he came in right as we're coming into the generational low of the S&P or of the Dow Jones Industrial Average on March 9th of 2009. So you and, and, and your crony Obama, you guys just were the were given the gift of perfect timing, although Obama during his tenure in the White House generated the lowest GDP growth of 1.4%, the lowest since Woodrow Wilson dating back to the 30s. So bravo, Obama, like you really did something for the economy. So, sorry, I had to hop onto that political soapbox. I'm sure that gave uh, Dad a, a smile at home when he when he hears this. So, So really, you know, as I was talking in the last segment, when we look at the market, we're continuing to see just this churn. And longtime listeners of this program know I like to call it the market cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back. We have been trapped in a trading range of the S&P 500 of around 4,200 to 3,800. And we're going all the way back to the beginning of February of this year. So the market is just a truck stuck in the mud. And when you look at the volume, it continues to tell us as professional money managers that the market is full of just a bunch of traders. And they love the fact that there's all every time we turn around the corner or every time we turn around, there's another piece of market moving, potential market moving news. Now, this past week, it was the consumer price index and the producer price index, the CPI and PPI. Well, guess what? The CPI came out below expectations. Now, it was just slightly below. They were expecting 5% consumer price index. It came in at 4.9. Now, the producer price index came in at 2.38%, which is below 
the more historic long-term average of 2.56. So the producer prices are starting to come back in line and continuing to move lower. But as I talked, I think a month or so ago, and I hate to sound like Elizabeth Warren, but I, I have to say I kind of agree with her a little bit on this, is that corporate America has been taking full advantage of this higher inflation and using it as a scapegoat, Joe, to raise prices, even if their input costs have been incrementally coming down over the last eight to, say, 12 months, they're continuing to raise prices on their customers and using inflation as the excuse just to fatten their profit margins. Because I talked, again, a month or so ago on this program where I saw a chart where profit margins are at historic highs right now. So what does that tell you? Yeah, and you look at the last couple of years, and I was thinking about this the other day, and you look at earnings and some of these companies. Well, you know, obviously it's been pretty rough the last few years, especially you look at situations where Target, all right, they had way too much surplus, which is a stock, you know, I won't go to Target. We won't pull out the the red bullet, uh, bullet, but anyways, what I'm getting at is, they had an issue with too much surplus of products, and they had to unwind it. So these companies have had issues with, Obviously, inventory, having too much inventory, not having enough inventory. And bad planning. I'm just being your counter, Elizabeth Warren, okay? And, and so maybe they're trying to make back some of the money they've lost the last two years. And it depends on the particular industry. Okay, so, okay but that's fair enough. But but let's punish the customer for our poor management. Let's punish the customer for getting an oversupply and then having to discount everything. I mean, I, and I understand that it was really hard to gauge the supply chain issue because supply chains were completely broken. Now the supply chains are back to pre-COVID levels, so they, they have been healed for all intents and purposes. So, you know, again, continuing to use inflation as the excuse to continue to fatten your profit margins. I mean, obviously, owners of stocks as we are and our clients are, you know, that can be a good thing. But we have now seen two consecutive quarters of earnings declines in the S&P 500. Although the first quarter of 2023, their earnings, you know, the, the negative earnings growth at the beginning of the quarter when they started coming out with the earnings, they were expecting almost a 7% decline in earnings growth year over year for the first quarter of 2023 versus the first quarter of 2022. Well, when we get done, now that we're pretty much through the first quarter of 2023 earnings, what have we seen? We've actually seen the negative of almost 7% earnings decline come down to around 2 So it improved dramatically. Well, we were talking before the show a little bit, and I don't know if Kyle wrote it down about the, the statistics going back showing earnings and what the return was on the S&P during oh, decreasing yeah. or increasing earnings. And I think, I don't know if you've ever written down, but it's some surprising facts. And there's a lesson to be learned about this if you if you hone your entire portfolio based off of earnings. But, well, basically what the chart said, this chart goes back, the, these statistics go back to 1930 to the end of 2021. And what it actually showed is whether you have a quarter of positive earnings growth or a quarter of negative earnings growth, the overall performance of the market historically, there's not a big difference. There's really not a big difference. In the in the quarters where you had positive earnings growth, you have long-term growth of the S&P 500 at 10.2%. And when you have quarters of negative earnings growth, you have long-term growth of the S&P of 98 So we're talking four-tenths 
of a percent difference. And really the reason why we're bringing this up and the point of us saying this is this is the reason why you have to maintain a long-term perspective when it comes to investing, why the all-in, all-out strategy in all in the stock market, all out of the stock market is a failed strategy. You always have to have a particular percentage of participation in the stock market at all times, no matter what your age. Well, with that, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, Joe, I wanted to shift gears a little bit because I did get a couple questions about this. We talked just briefly about it at the beginning of the show, uh, but it pertains to the debt ceiling. Just a little bit deeper explanation and kind of what our opinions and thoughts are about that because I know it's being discussed across the board through all the financial entertainment press, through all media, no matter which side of the aisle you sit on politically or shows you watch, they're all talking about the debt ceiling. So we've gone through this before with the debt ceiling. And really what the debt ceiling means is if we, when we bump up to the debt ceiling, it basically means that we cannot go out and issue treasuries to collect assets, to collect money from investors in the treasury market, and that just no more new treasuries can be issued by the Fed. And so, you know, that's what happens when you bump bump up to the debt ceiling. Now, the question is, what happens if we go into a default? Now, when they use the word default, I just want to just clarify this because it's really more of a symbolic default because at the end of the day, the government still has the money to make good on the interest payments of all the treasury bonds that are in investors' hands around the world. And so that's, again, more of a symbolic default. They still have money to pay those interest payments. But where things could be trimmed at a federal government level is contractors potentially not getting paid, furloughing some of the federal workers and shutting down different government agencies and divisions that aren't as critical. It doesn't mean if the government defaults that they're not making Social Security payments that, you know, there's no more Medicaid or Medicare. Yeah, that's not when they talk when they talk. Um, defaulting, that's not what they're talking about. And they're definitely not talking about defaulting on the interest payments on the U.S. Treasury debts and any Treasury bonds, bills, or notes. That's not what they're talking about. So there's areas where the government can shift assets around while the left side of the aisle and the right side of the aisle wrangle this out. And we know that so far Joe Biden and his administration are not really wanting to negotiate. They're trying to play hardball. But I got to be honest, Joe, at the end of the day, the Biden administration does not have a leg to stand on, period. 
you know, when you've got some of the worst polling numbers of any city sitting president of history of 36%, you've got, you know, you've got someone like former President Trump goes on the CNN town hall meeting and absolutely rips the cover off the ball and is leading other GOP political uh, presidential candidates by 20 to 30 points. And if the election was tomorrow, Trump would beat Biden by almost double digits at the polls. This is where the GOP, where, where, where Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans can really hold their ground and say, we have got to get some type of spending restraint. It's not just a blank check. And I, and I had this conversation with a client in San Antonio just a couple of days ago. It's, it's funny, and, 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 and don't get me wrong, folks, there is plenty of blame from a spending standpoint to go across both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, period. You know, they all have their moments of, of ill decisions when it comes to spending. But here's the thing, because they're not out there earning this money and it's all coming from the tax dollars' pockets, it's like they have a free blank check. It's just like... It's, it's just like having a kid inherit a ton of money and just go out and spend it frivolously because they didn't have to earn it. It wasn't coming off the sweat of their brow. Well, it's the same thing with our government. On that topic, you know, we're not going to get into state planning, but I think there, there used to be a stat that 80% of beneficiaries blow their inheritance within two years. So there I, would, you go. I that, would believe it. There's the government. I would believe oh, it. Wow. Look at this windfall we got. What are we going to do? We're going to mm-hmm. go out and buy a fully loaded suburban with leather interior, four wheel drive, Z71. For about you know, seventy grand, well, that's what the government's doing. I did, I did see one ray of hope, and I wanted to point this out because Biden, like you said, the mandate that Biden had and the political clout after the election is gone. When your polling numbers are thirty six percent approval rating, that's pretty low. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And if even we, among your own base, they don't want him to run. Well, and and if and if all of a sudden McCarthy comes and says, "All right, well, let's get some of this COVID money that's out there between the estimated between fifty and seventy billion dollars of unspent COVID money." And by the way, we're technically not in a pandemic. Let's start with that because we don't have to spend it. Let's claw it back. Let's claw it back and let's actually work together to get something done. You know, and I think the other thing you talk about with the debt ceiling, what's going to happen to the bond market? I mean, the volatility between now and then. You can see the yields go up and down. It's not as bad as it was three months ago, but still, you look at the yields. Well, just Friday. I mean, just Friday. I mean, we've we've seen we've seen just the two year Treasury, you know, close just right at four percent when it was down at three point eight three percent just a couple of days ago. Now you got to understand, folks, that this is a very large market, trillions of dollars. And when you have yields move that much, there is a lot of money moving in and out of this market. And as Jeff has mentioned on this program, we've mentioned, you know, when this whole banking situation with the super regional and community banks started back in March, we saw the safety trade of traders going in and buying short-term treasuries, driving yields lower as kind of a protective move. And we're still not out of the woods with the whole banking situation. But as I had mentioned on last weekend's show, I think that this banking situation, even though we're still not out of the woods yet with it, I think that this is going to be a little bit of a, a kind of a green shoot for the Fed, for the Federal Reserve, believe it or not. Because before this whole banking situation started March, back in March, the Fed had the mindset of we're going to have to destroy possibly 2 million jobs in order to continue to accelerate monetary inflation lower. 
to get it to, to our target mandate of 2%, which we're all on record saying it's moronic to have this 2% price stability mandate. It needs to be three because that's the long-term core PCE. It's 3.28%. But anyways, with this banking situation that, that has now arisen, I think that this is going to this is going to help the Fed not to have to destroy jobs. And because of the tighter lending standards that are now coming down the pipeline for all lenders, for, for all lenders and all borrowers, these tighter standards, that is going to help slow the economy and help slow inflation at a much faster pace. So again, going back to Jan Hatzi as the head of, of, you know, the head economist at Goldman Sachs talking this past week that the Fed has the potential of actually threatening, threading the needle and having this Goldilocks scenario. Now I can tell you that the stock market from a breath standpoint is not believing this because again we have seven technology stocks well i should say six technology stocks and tesla although tesla some would argue is a technology company driving almost 90 percent of the return in the s&p 500 they're just not believing it yet there's really just a buyer's strike of long-term money managers that's really what it is i mean look at us at davidson capital management you know we're still under a 45% allocation to equities in our moderate asset allocations. Even in our most aggressive asset allocations, we're below 70%. Well, so wonder- we're in that same camp of being patient because this is the first time in 15 years where being patient in your portfolio can actually reward you because of the higher interest rate environment we find ourselves in. Well, yeah, and I was talking. I was talking to a, a, a client uh, actually this Friday morning, and she was talking about her portfolio, and she said, you know, we heard you say on the radio, no fund of the Fed is done. Looks like rates, they're going to stop raising rates. Is it time to, you know, apply more, uh, put more money into stocks? And, you know, in certain situations like you just mentioned, you can be patient in this environment. But hypothetically, hypothetically, remember the beginning of the year, I said the S&P is going to be up 8%. If we were flat to the end of the year, what do you do in your portfolio? Number one, make sure you do a portfolio review. Make sure your fees are in line because if you're paying half a percent more in fees with one advisor versus the other, that counts in a flat market. All right. Mm-hmm. Also, what, what does your portfolio look like? In, in if you're overweight tech, do you have any dividend paying stocks in your portfolio? One of the attractive things about the energy sector is the dividend yields are usually more than five percent. You know, and I don't, I don't. I was talking to another buddy. I mean, what do we think oil is going to do? At $55 a barrel, the energy companies can be productive. They can turn a profit. So, you know, you I look mean, at we, we, I mean, we, we, own a, we own an energy company right now that can be productive at $32 a barrel. And, and here's the other thing, going back to the oil industry, because I will say one thing we did do in our individual stock and bond portfolios is we did slightly increase allocation to the three oil names. We have two oil names and one gas name uh, in our portfolio, and we're basically just increasing portfolio income because a lot of these stocks have come down 20 25% from their 52-week high, and we've owned these stocks long-term. So we have you know nice, large, embedded capital gains in these positions, and so we're just slightly increasing the allocation to them to increase the overall portfolio income and we're talking you know one of the the gas positions paying well over six and a half percent dividend income we have another oil name paying over 12 and and dividend income so if we get any growth 
back towards this 52-week high, it's just going to be extra icing on the cake. And also, we understand that they have to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. OPEC has already come out saying most likely they're going to be cutting production as we're getting into the summer driving season. And with all this pent-up demand for travel, guess what? I have a feeling we have a pretty steady travel season and a lot of people on the road going into this summer. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's month, we're in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise. It's easy for me to say. I knew I'd eventually get it out. Um and just before we went to break, just talking about a little of the changes that we made in the individual stock and bond portfolios this past week, uh, slightly increased our allocations to our oil positions. Uh, you know, a lot of profit taking has taken place since the beginning of the year in these in these oil names. Uh, you know, even though, you know, the, I, I would say as we were talking that increasing these allocations is increasing current income into the into our portfolio because. You know, the names that we have in the oil space do pay such a very attractive dividend. And we're able to pick up some more shares, 20 25% off their 52-week high. Um, it's not very difficult to do because, you know, I don't think the economy and we don't feel that the economy is going to be coming to a screeching halt. I think we could see, as we said earlier in the program, more of a rotational uh, recession that that moves from industrial sector to industrial sector, but we do know that the t- strategic petroleum reserve has got to be refilled from the boneheaded decisions that the Biden administration made to help lower the prices. I know OPEC has already come out and said that there's high probability that they're going to be lowering production going into summer, and we've got the summer driving season coming up. Um, and so I, I don't think we were taking too much of a risk, slightly increasing allocations to these names, being long-term investors in the oil patch. Now, with that said, um, <laughs> also the previous week, and I don't think we mentioned it on last weekend's show, that we had sold one of our uh, healthcare positions in AbbVie, uh, who was a great performer for us long-term, you know, made close to 100% in it. Uh, over the time that we had owned it, also had a very nice dividend, but I felt that uh, we'd kind of really wrung that out, that position out, um, because they're going to have a lot of issues with their Humira drug, which was their blockbuster drug that has come off patent. So I think it's going to take them well into 2026 for their other drug lineups to kind of uh, make up for the lost uh, profits and revenue from losing the, not losing the patent, but again, the patent protection on Humira. And so, you know, being that we're talking about the oil patch, uh, found a fantastic company. I'm not going to give you the name because I spent a lot of time, a lot of hours, a lot of research finding it. Uh, our clients, hey, trust of course, me, trust me, Kyle, and I discuss it for a good 
two and a half days. Just kidding, Jeff. We didn't spend that long researching that one particular stock. But it, interesting conversations go, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did. No, 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 anyway. no, no, no. That's that, but I mean, this again. The whole point of this show is what true, real portfolio managers do, and the conversations they have. That's the whole point of this show is pulling that curtain back. To, to allow our listeners in of the process that we go through and actually finding the stocks and the different equity and, and bond positions that we buy for our clients and for ourselves. And so, you know, found this, found this company uh, that happens to be one of the lowest and largest, the lowest cost and one of the largest refiners of lithium uh, in the world. And it just so happens this company has long-term contracts uh, with a government in South America that also has the largest uh, reserves of lithium in the world, and they have contracts tied up until 2043. They also deal in bromines. They're, they're a basic materials company. That's the industrial sector they're in, and we were a little bit light in our overall allocation in basic materials. Uh, pays just under a 1% dividend, but being able to pick up this position almost 45% off its 52-week high, with upside potential north of 300% based on our analysis and through our uh, screening, our proprietary screening process. So we were able to pick up. So, you know, we talked about oil. Now we're kind of into green energy because obviously they deal with, with lithium, which is used to make batteries of all different kinds, particularly in the EV space. But something else they produce is bromine, and they specialize in making very specialized chemical concoctions for oil and, and gas drillers. So they also do participate in the oil industry as well. So imagine we know that. from, yeah, we imagine that. So I we mean, know from, we know from Trump, we know from Trump's town hall meeting on CNN that if he winds up uh, winning and getting back into the White House, the first thing he's going to do, and he said it in the town hall meeting, is drill, baby, drill. I, I do want to chime in here a little bit because we're talking about common sense. Just from a you know from a portfolio management standpoint, all right. Well, there's a common sense energy policy that I think all of us here at Davidson Capital Management can agree on. It's having all of the above. It's having fossil fuels, having electricity, having wind, having solar. We're open minded about that. We absolutely are. Now, our friends on maybe the other side of the table is open minded about that. I can't say, but I'm just saying from our perspective, when you're diversifying, you have to diversify across the energy sector too. And that's anyways, it's just that, that's right. management one on one. No, well no, and, and it just goes back to the kind of the basics of, of Warren Buffett and, and what you've always said, Joe, on the program, knowing what you own, but also understanding why you own it. And if and if a a ten year old can't explain why you own a particular company, then maybe you you know, you shouldn't be owning it. And I think it's real easy for a ten year old or my eleven year old daughter to explain, Hey, my dad owns in the portfolio a company that mines lithium that's used to make car batteries for EVs and other types of, of uh, you know, lithium batteries. Oh, I got a lot and of power so, tools that use that. So Yeah, and yeah. so we use this company stock to replace the AbV position that, that we liquidated um, a couple of weeks ago in the portfolio. But, again, as I said earlier in the program, our overall allocation to stocks and our moderate allocation is ranging between 43 and 44 percent so we're still well below a 45 percent allocation well below 50 percent allocation uh, target in our portfolio and as we said this is still a more of a renter's market 
Volume is still extremely light, so the long-term investors have yet to show up. Obviously, debt ceiling concerns and hand-wringing could, you know, obviously is a contributing factor. Whether the Fed is done raising interest rates, if May was their last interest rate increase, I feel that it is. Uh, I don't think we're going to see another one this cycle. Um, and so I think the Fed has kind of taken themselves out of the picture, but obviously it's going to be data-dependent. So there's still a pause there. So for all of our listeners, our home gamers, you know, continue to be patient. You're getting paid to be patient, whether it's a high-yielding position-traded money market account, treasury bonds, government bonds. We're finally collecting a rate of interest that we haven't had in 15 years. And so there's not a particular reason right now with the, everything in the news cycle to be sticking your neck out in your portfolio and taking exorbitant amount of risk with such a data-driven and news-driven market at this point in time, especially when I feel right now that we have a long-term investor buyer strike. And this is, again, going to continue to take time to work itself out. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into 
saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and that would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning. And what I what I call it when I work with our clients or prospective clients, I call it financial road mapping. That's just the, the name I've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg, this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle. And have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their, number. Their, 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 and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. 
Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just... That's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, the way we viewed this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet. Their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars. And you're telling well, you can only withdraw two percent a year. That's twenty thousand dollars. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, ten-year bonds, right now, exactly, you don't need any of this. You can get right at two percent. Exactly. So you don't. You don't need to go to Wall Street to get a two percent withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. 
And the research, researchers found that only 12 percent, uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12 percent took out over twice the 4 percent rule, closer to a 9 percent withdrawal rate per year. But they also found that 28 percent withdrew less than 1 percent. And some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have a taxable assets and outside accounts because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment they decided not to take the cash lump sum option which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets or their lifestyle is so modest that their social security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's what—that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. Um, but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account. And then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out. You get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, at, at, our, at our firm, the 6 to 7% withdrawal rate rule where you're part of this group that's taking out 9, 10, 11% of your investable net worth well, by, well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, an example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs. And those golden eggs are 
capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, you know, doing it that way? Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients – don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal. And it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... It can force sales that you don't want to make. And... It may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that'd have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true. But it averages out over the life of the account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start. I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than seven percent a year. You run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are 
and I'm going to use the term quote-unquote retiring because they're not actually retiring. They're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that, is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a, that's a, that's a question that, I, that, any, that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in, many, in several cases we've had you know, one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and, and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it, maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education of about retirement spending, and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the, the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, three years before. So that you, if three years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off. Because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates, you know the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets 
you know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's three and a half percent no don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder our moderate allocation our asset builder our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is seven percent so i use seven percent as the rule of thumb if the interest rate is below seven percent you finance it if the interest rate is above seven percent okay we can discuss paying cash for it because it Again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To right. pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes? Is you're going to have to pay pulling that money out? So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt 
from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out eight, nine, ten percent a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak – three times a week. Don't think that once you go into retirement, you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't If you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. 
yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens. And I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else. Right. Taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah. Roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment you're done you you that's the that's it you're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life for the rest of your life and your spouse's life and then once those two typically once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime there's no other assets going to the uh, estate and it's not; those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less. And they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more 
that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. So if you're receiving a four or $5,000 monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC. Yeah, you just sliced. You just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal: is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating oh we've overpaid you over the last 10 years $150,000 you need to pay that back to us immediately or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment it's rare it's rare it's very rare but it happens one thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the and come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I, I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. 
you cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But that's is, fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed, this is fear. This, this is this the is, 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now and, and if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend into your financial health." We will talk to you next week. <laughs>